Welcome to the Moses Lake Baptist Church Sermon Podcast. This episode is taken from our Fear Not series, which is taken from the stories of Christmas. We hope that this message will be an encouragement to you, and we would love to hear how God used it in your life. Well, Luke chapter 1 is where we're going to be this morning, and starting a brand new series this uh, next few weeks called Fear Not. I'm excited about it. I'm looking forward to it. As we get kind of going with it, uh, how many of you, you know somebody that you would probably classify as an emotional person? How many of you know somebody like that? Uh, Don't hit the person next to you right now, all right? You know what? Every one of us probably knows somebody that we would uh, would say they struggle with dealing with their emotions. We've all, uh, every one of us have been around that child uh, who one moment is fine, the next moment is laughing uncontrollably, and then a few seconds later is crying uncontrollably. Uh, If you've ever been in charge of a kid's class or kid's ministries, uh, just ask Pastor Coco. Pastor Carlos is what the kids call him, Pastor Coco. But uh, Pastor Carlos, he preached a great message on Thursday. You ask him, uh, Carlos, do kids struggle with emotions? He's going to say yes, because there are some days he'll come up and I'm like, dude, I can already tell. I can already tell you struggle today uh, because the, the kids are hyper one second and they're crying for mom the next second. Every one of us know kids like that. And the truth is, if we're being honest, not only do we know kids like that and know adults like that, but the fact is that every single one of us can be like that. Every person, every person, man, woman, boy or girl, every single one of us at one time or another, we've allowed our emotions to dictate our actions, Every single one of us, we struggle with emotions. We battle anger. We battle discouragement. We battle anxiety and bitterness and and so many other emotions. But probably, probably the greatest emotion, the greatest emotion that we battle or the number one emotion that we struggle with, every single person, is fear. Whether it's a specific fear, Brian said last week he's afraid of dogs. How many of you are afraid of spiders? Yeah, a lot of people don't like spiders. They have a fear of spiders or a a fear of snakes. There might be a specific fear, but there's others that struggle. We all struggle with the fear of the unknown. We struggle with the fear often of the known, the fear of the expected, the fear of the unexpected, the fear of the undesired. The truth is that we all struggle with and we all deal with fear. And that struggle is very real. And that struggle has been going on since the Garden of Eden. Since man was created, fear has been something that we deal with. But what we're going to see this morning is that our fear, all of our fears were dealt with when a baby was born into this world. Our fear was dealt with at that very first Christmas. And so for the next few weeks, we're going to be encouraged. We're going to be challenged from the story of the birth of Christ, challenged with two simple words, fear not. These words were spoken to specific people about specific fears at the very first Christmas, but I believe that their words still resonate down to today. And as we begin our story We're going to start with Mary, the mother of Jesus Christ, and the words that she heard, fear not. Our story is found in Luke chapter 1, but 
Before we get there, let's just kind of get the backdrop for what's taking place. The year would be 5 to 3 B.C. That would be the year. The, the town would be a little town of Nazareth. This town of Nazareth would sit about 14 miles southeast of the, the Sea of Galilee. This area of Nazareth would be one that only a, a few hundred people would live in. As a matter of fact, at this time in Luke chapter number 1, Nazareth would be really just a small, obscure little town that, that is disliked by many. It's actually one of the towns that would be disrespected by many. As a matter of fact, archaeologists say, one archaeologist notes that Nazareth is often not even mentioned in the history of Israel during this time because they, they say it likely reflects, reflects its lack of prominence, both in Galilee and Judea. It was just a nobody town that you didn't want to be from. And that's where our story takes place in Luke chapter number one. There's not a lot happening in Nazareth. There's only a a Roman garrison that would be placed there and a few hundred people that would live there. Uh, To give it some perspective, Nathaniel said this in John chapter one about Nazareth. He said, can any good thing come out of Nazareth? It was so disrespected that even the people of Israel looked down upon it and said, can anybody come from there? So the town is Nazareth. The people are the Jewish people. Now we're familiar with the Jews, familiar with the Hebrews. We speak on them often through the book of the, through the Old Testament. We went through 1 Samuel and highlighted much of the Jewish history, but the Jews at this time, they're under a great oppression. The oppression of Rome. As a matter of fact, Rome has come in and conquered the land entirely to make it where being a Jew is looked, looked upon as disgusting. Only the Jews celebrated their heritage. Everybody else looked down upon them. They were, they were God's people according to religious opinion, and you and I would say that, but according even to them, they were forgotten by God. As a matter of fact, when you come to Luke chapter number one, up to this point, it has been nearly 400 years since there has been an open prophecy or or an open declaration from God to a prophet about the children of Israel. They've kind of sat sat in silence for over 400 years. And that's where we find ourselves in Luke chapter number one, in the town of Nazareth with a young Jewish girl named Mary. Our story takes place in Luke chapter 1, verse 26. Stand with me if you would, and let's go to Luke chapter 1 and verse number 26. Luke chapter 1 and verse 26, we read these words. And in the sixth month, the angel, Gabriel, was sent from God unto a city of Galilee named Nazareth, to a virgin, espoused to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David, and the virgin's name was Mary. And the angel came in unto her and said, Hail, thou that art highly favored. The Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou among women. And when she saw him, she was troubled at his saying, and cast in her mind what manner of salutation this should be. And the angel said unto her, Fear not, Mary, for thou hast found favor with God. And behold, thou shalt conceive in thy womb and bring forth a son and shalt call his name Jesus. 
he shall be great and shall be called the son of the highest. And the Lord God shall give unto him the throne of his father David. And he shall reign over the house of Jacob forever and of his kingdom. There shall be no end. Then said Mary unto the angel, how shall this be? Seeing I know not a man. And the angel answered and said unto her, The Holy Ghost shall come upon thee, and the power of the highest shall overshadow thee. Therefore also that holy thing which shall be born of thee shall be called the Son of God. And behold, thy cousin Elizabeth, she hath also conceived a son in her old age. And, his, and this is the sixth month with her who was called barren. Verse 37, for with God, nothing shall be impossible. And Mary said, behold, the handmaid of the Lord, be it unto me according to thy word. And the angel departed from her. You know what? Fear, it can literally control every aspect of a life. It can destroy a life. But the fact is that it doesn't have to. And this morning, what we're going to recognize is that fear could have consumed a young 15-year-old girl. And yet she was given those words, fear not. Fear not. We're going to look at those words and the story surrounding it this morning. And I believe we'll be helped if we allow God to speak to us. So with our heads bowed and our eyes closed, why don't you take just a, a very quick second. And just in the quietness of the moment. Give God permission to speak to you. You can pray something simple. Dear God, I give you permission. I give you permission to speak into my heart. And then make the commitment. God, if you speak to me today, I'm listening to you. Dear Lord, we come before you and... I just want to thank you for your word. I thank you, Lord, that today we don't have to try to figure out um, or conjure up how to make you come and speak to us. But, Lord, you give us your word very clearly to speak into our lives. And so, Lord, I pray that this morning that you would help everything that I say, every thought that I have and action and word that I speak, that it would be pleasing to you. I pray, Lord, that you would capture every one of us, that you would capture our attention. Lord, that you would help us to tune into you and hear from you. Lord, that you would uh, eliminate any distractions. And Father, just use your word today to strengthen and to help each of us as your people. I do, again, pray if there's someone that's here or online that does not know that heaven is where they would spend eternity, they don't know that they have a relationship with you, God, I pray that today would be the day they put their faith and their trust in you. Lord, again, we commit the time to you. We pray that you'd speak to us. We love you. We look forward to seeing you. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You go ahead and be seated. <clears throat> in 2009, a saying uh, began to be used. It was a slogan that was used for the, newest, uh, the newly released iPhone. And uh, the saying at that time was the saying, there's an app for that. There's an app for that. 2009, it became popular because Apple's newest iPhone uh, boasted of the fact that whatever you needed information about, 
There's an app for that. If you wanted to track your calories, there was an app for that. If you wanted to, to find your car in a parking lot, there was an app for that. If you wanted directions or you wanted to check the weather, there was a big commercial that came out from iPhone and from Apple saying there is an app for that. Whatever your problem is, there's an app for that. That was the, that was the declaration of Apple. This morning, I've titled the message, There is Grace for That. Because the fact of the matter is that every situation and every struggle that we go through in life, there isn't an app for it, but there is grace for it. And this morning, the reason that you and I don't have to go through life with fear is because on that very first Christmas, God brought grace into every life. This is the reason that Mary was told to fear not in Luke chapter number one, when she was told, fear not, for thou hast found favor with God. The word favor, we're going to see it again multiple times today. It means you have found grace with God. Fear not, Mary. You're surrounded by the grace of God. There is grace for that. The fact is that no matter the situation or what struggle or what heartache or valley or, or what journey that we travel through, in your life, there is grace for that. Paul said it this way in 2 Corinthians chapter 12 and verse number 9. He said that God said to him, my grace is sufficient for thee. For my strength is made perfect in weakness. The idea of grace is in scripture, there is grace that saves, but then there is also grace that strengthens. It is grace, it is God's strength to get through any situation that we face. And the fact is that you and I, we are going to go through some situations and some struggles in life that we do not have the strength to make it through, that we cannot uh, just kind of buckle down and make it through the, the loss of a loved one or that health crisis or financial situation or, or whatever the case might be, uh, just the personal struggles. We can't just muscle it through it. We need the strength of God. And what I want us to notice this morning from Luke chapter number one is whatever scenario or situation that you face or have faced or will face, there is grace for that. Take your Bible if you would, and I want you to notice first of all today an unexpected moment, an unexpected moment. As we come to Luke chapter one and verse number 26, as the story opens up, we find an angel, Gabriel by name, sent from God to this town of Nazareth in the northern region of Israel called Galilee. This angel or this messenger of God, Gabriel, is sent to a young virgin girl. This young virgin girl, she probably would have been about 14 or 15 years of age. And as was customary in those days and in that culture, she was already engaged or espoused to a young man whose name was Joseph. No doubt, as this young girl was there, we don't know what she was doing. We don't know exactly the, the, uh, uh, the backdrop or the scenario of what was taking place in her personal life at that very moment. Maybe she was gardening. Maybe she was out picking flowers. Maybe she was just sitting in her room thinking. Maybe she was reading some scroll of some sort. We don't know what she was doing, but all of a sudden, an angel appears to her. Now, I don't know about you, but if an angel appeared to me after I woke up, I would still be afraid. Just the appearance of an angel would bring fear. But that's not what made Mary afraid. 
What caused Mary to fear was the angel's saying, what the angel spoke. Verse 28 declares it for us. The angel came in unto her and said, Hail, thou that art highly favored, the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou among women. This angel comes in and gives a very unique greeting. The angel says, you are highly favored. That phrase, it means that she was compassed with much grace. You are surrounded by grace. Then it says the the Lord is with you. This would be something for a a Jew. They would begin to think, no, the Lord is with my, my nation, but God is not necessarily with me individually. You see, because many of the people of, of uh, the Hebrew heritage, they had kind of missed the thought that God was a very personal God. And he wanted to be a personal God in an individual's life. And so this phrase, the Lord is with thee, that would have put a question in her mind. Then, blessed art thou uh, among women. That phrase, blessed art thou among women, it means you are well spoken of by other ladies. Other people speak well of you. But what we read in verse number 29 is this, that when she saw him, it doesn't say she was troubled at the sight of him. She was troubled at the sight of the angel. It says she was troubled at the saying of him. The word troubled, it means to be wholly disturbed or agitated. Agitated, we would probably think of the word aggravated, but that's not the the definition here. The word agitate means to be shaken up. And so she, it would be like uh, many of you maybe make a shake in the morning or, or you have made a fruit shake. You throw a bunch of fruit in a blender and then you press blend and it just starts shaking it up. Uh, that she's feeling like her whole life is thrown into a blender at this moment. She's troubled. She is wholly disturbed and completely shaken. Not at the sight of this angel. She's completely shaken at the sight of what he says. And it says that she began to cast in her mind what manner of salutation this should be. She began the phrase cast in her mind. It means to deliberate like a jury. She began to process and think, what does he mean? Why am I highly favored? Why am I surrounded by God's grace? Why why would the Lord be with me? Why would other people be speaking well of me? And, And her whole life right here in this moment, everything that she has known and everything that she is is thrown into a blender. And, and it's a completely unexpected moment, a, a completely uh, um, period of her life where she is just in utter dismay. She's bewildered by this greeting. She is we would say, afraid. She's scared by this greeting. She's troubled by this greeting. What does he mean? Notice secondly then, if you will, an unimaginable request. We see an unexpected moment, but we hear an unimaginable request. The angel tells her, fear not. We'll get to that in just a moment. He says, fear not, Mary, for thou hast found favor with God. And then he says in verse number 31, Behold, thou shalt conceive in thy womb and bring forth a son and shall call his name Jesus. 
He shall be great and shall be uh, called the son of the highest. And the Lord God shall give unto him the throne of his father David. And he shall reign over the house of Jacob forever. And of his kingdom there shall be no end. What was Mary being asked to do in this passage? She is being asked now to be the mother of a specific child. But not just any child. No, as a matter of fact, and we don't, we're not going to take the time to do it, but if you went through Luke chapter 1, verses 31 through 33, you would find that every single little title that was given to Jesus actually connected with prophecy, and, and she would know prophecy. Mary would be very familiar with prophecy. Most of the Jews, I mean, you go and just read Matthew 1, Luke 1, John 1, or Mark 1, and you find that the Jews knew there was prophecy about the coming Son of God, the coming Messiah, and so every one of these statements that's given to her would connect with prophecy, but she is being asked to be, to be the mother of the Son of God. Verse number 32, he shall be called the Son of the Highest. Verse 35, therefore also that holy thing which shall be born of thee shall be called the Son of God. Man, you think about responsibility. Many of you mothers, I mean, imagine you, you can remember when you were found out you were expecting your first child. And you remember that, uh, man, probably the, the first trimester, you know, you're, you're just excited. You're excited. The second, you know, three months, I mean, you're thinking, oh, this is just wonderful. I can't wait. And you're, you're anticipating. And that excitement has now turned into planning. And then you get into that last trimester and you're like, just get this over with. Just come out already. But then you have that baby. Remember the, remember the very first child? And you're holding that child. Dad, you remember that? And as you look down, as you look at that son or that daughter, it's like the whole world falls on you. <clears throat> remember that moment, Dad? And you're thinking, what am I gonna do? How am I gonna do this? And you, as a mother, you begin to think, am I going to be good enough? Can I, can I raise them right? Can I instill in them the values that are going to be healthy? If you were a believer, you're thinking, can I, can I help them grow in the Lord? Oh, I, I pray they trust Christ at an early age. You remember, remember all those burdens that just fell on you in that moment? Now, I want you to imagine that you're being asked to be the parent, the mother of the Son of God. Oh, it would take that weight and increase it, increase it exponentially. She's being asked to be the mom of, of the very Son of God. Not only would he be the Son of God, but he'd also he'd be the Messiah. Being asked to be the the mother of the Messiah. The Messiah would connect in verse number 31. His name shall, or thou shalt call his name Jesus. The name Jesus, the Lord is our salvation, Jehovah with us. And she would understand that name Jesus connecting to Yah, to Jehovah God. And she would know that I'm going to be carrying in my womb the one who would redeem us as a people. 
Imagine the hope that would just fill her within and not only the excitement of being a mom and the, the, maybe the, the fear of now being the mother of the son of God, but add on top of that, this child is going to be the one that is promised to save our people. Now here in America, we, many of us live with a, with a, a pride in being American. Man, I'm, I'm proud of being an American. I'm proud of my country. I'm, I'm proud of, of our, our, our flag and rep, what it represents. And you know what? Even though we may go through some dark times, I'm still glad to be an American. We have some pride in our heritage and some pride in our nationality. Man, the Jews, they had that tenfold. Even though they were looked upon, even though they were looked to be as just a derelict people that were, that were uh, wandering from God, even though they had that uh, persona upon them, even though that was in their life, they were still proud to be a Jew. They were still proud to be a Hebrew. And you can even now uh, travel and go, when you go to Israel, we're supposed to be there right now. I'm supposed to be in Israel right now, but thank COVID. Uh, be there next year. If you want to go next year, you sign up. That's just my little plug. But you know what? Even now when you go to Israel and you meet uh, Jewish people there, man, they are just proud of their heritage. Hannah and I, the first year we went in 2018, and we were in a, a little pizza shop that they had there. And in this little pizza shop, there were some friends from the, uh, the group that we were in just sitting down eating a Thai boat table. I think Miss Nancy, I think they were there at that pizza shop and Miss Anita, and we were all there. And Hannah and I were kind of sitting off to the side and we began to talk with another couple from the bus. And then, and then this lady, this older lady, she's just sitting right there with her daughter-in-law and she said, uh, she just looked at us and she said, are you guys from the United States? We said, yeah, we began, we began to chat with her. Long story short, she was a... Uh, um, uh, survivor of the Holocaust. And she was, I, I think she was 14 or 15 years old, something like that. And so now, you know, here she is in her early 90s. And she began to tell us, oh yeah, when the Holocaust hit, and she told us her story and how she got to the United States and, and uh, um, just came here and uh, just an incredible story. I don't have time to tell you everything about it. But then she said, but it hit a point where I knew I just needed to move back home. I'm, I'm from Israel. I'm a Jew. I'm an Israelite. And here's this 93, 94-year-old lady just saying, I'm so proud of my heritage. I bring all of that to say that Mary would have been proud of her heritage and she would have been proud of the fact that I get to carry the Messiah the one who will deliver my people, the one who's been promised to my people. She's asked to be the mother of the Son of God, asked to be the mother of the Messiah. She's asked to be the mother of the eternal King. In the passage, it would, the sayings that were given in verse 32 and 33, he shall be great and shall be called the Son of the Highest. The Lord shall give unto him the throne of his father David, and he shall reign over the house of Jacob forever, and of his kingdom there shall be no end. That would immediately connect her with a prophecy that was given in Isaiah chapter 9, verse 6 and 7, where it says, unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulders, and his name shall be called Wonderful, Counselor, the Mighty God, the Everlasting Father the prince of peace, of the increase of his government and peace, there shall be no end. She would have connected to that and she would know, I am going to be raising the one 
who will reign forever and ever. Can you imagine the weight of responsibility that's placed on this 15-year-old girl? Her response to Gabriel, though, is, how can this be, seeing I've never been with a man? I've never been sexually involved. I'm still a virgin. How can I, how can this be? She was a pure young lady. She was still, of course, a virgin. That's very important for the deity of Jesus Christ. Because if if Mary had not been a virgin, then she would have been tainted with man's blood. And there's so much there. But the truth is that she was still a virgin. And I just want to say this very quickly to every single person, but especially our young people, that purity is still a good value. It's still a great value that should be looked to. And every young person in here should have a desire in their life to keep themselves pure until the day that they get married. You say, Pastor, that's a little, don't, don't talk about that in church. We need to talk about that in church. And mom and dads, you should be talking about that in your home. We should be talking about purity. But purity is not just good for our teenagers and our young people. Purity is good for every adult. You see, every adult here, if you're married, purity means that you are only physically active and uh, emotionally and, and sexually active with your spouse. That's what that means. And I'll stay pure within my marriage when I'm not looking at things or involved in things that are outside of my marriage. That's purity in marriage. If you're not married, purity means I keep myself from any form of sexual activity, anything until the day I get married. That should be important in every single person's life. It was very important in the birth of Jesus Christ. And she's a a virgin. She says, how can this be, seeing I know not a man? And the response that's given to her is incredible. The response is, Mary, what's gonna be inside of you is placed there by God himself. The Holy Ghost is just gonna touch your body And you're going to conceive, you'll have a child growing within you. And then he gives her a famous saying, verse number 37. What's verse number 37 say? It says, for with God, nothing shall be impossible. Mary, I'm at work here and you are going to understand that with me, nothing, nothing is impossible. Can I just pause very quickly and tell you that that verse is still true today? Man, with God, nothing's impossible. With God, there is nothing out of of limits or out of his reach. Listen, he is God. And the thing in your life that you think, well, that's impossible. No, with God, nothing is impossible. And here's Mary thinking, "Ah, that, that can't be. That is impossible. And God says, hey, nothing is impossible with me. Nothing. What a great verse. And what's Mary's response? Verse number 38, I love Mary's response. Mary said, behold, the handmaid of the Lord, be it unto me according to thy word. That phrase, that word handmaid, it means bond slave or absolute servant. You know what Mary said in that moment? She said, God, I completely yield to you. God, everything I am is completely yours. What an incredibly humble response from a 15-year-old, from a 14-year-old. 
God, I give you my life. Lord, I give you everything that I am and my plans and my dreams. No doubt she was already, I mean, she was thinking about what her life would be. She's already engaged. She knows that she's going to have a family and and she's maybe thinking about raising her family in Nazareth or or where they're gonna live and what her husband Joseph is going to be. He's gonna, man, he's gonna open his own business one day and no doubt she has those dreams. And at this moment, she took every dream. At this moment, she took every plan. At this moment, she took every expectation that she had in life and she erased it all from the page and just signed the bottom and gave God a blank page and said, God, I give you everything that I am. I am your humble servant. Do with me as you would have. What an example for every one of us, a 15-year-old young girl that just says, everything in my life you can have. I know 40-year-old men that say, God, you can have every area of my life except for that one. God, you can have every compartment of my heart except for that one. What a, what a great example she is. Total surrender. God, whatever you ask of me. But my question is, how did she have that response? How was that her response? I mean, it, was it just because he said, for with God, everything is possible, or nothing shall be impossible? It was, was that the statement that would make her have this response? I want to say today that I believe that the reason, one of the reasons that her response was, behold, the handmaid of the Lord, be it unto me according to thy word, is because of what was said to her in verse 29 and 30. Notice what the angel says. It says, when she saw him, she was troubled at his saying. And she cast in her mind what manner of salutation this should be. There's that, that fear, that, 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 uh, that spirit of, of bewilderment, that agitation that is going on in her life. And notice verse 30. The angel knew it. God had told the angel what to say. And the angel said unto her, fear not, Mary. Why should I not fear? For or because. That word for there, it means because. Fear not, Mary, because thou hast found favor or grace with God. Fear not, Mary, because you have found grace with God. In this moment, her moment of fear, she was told, fear not because you are the recipient of what we're going to look at thirdly today, an undeserving grace. Mary, you don't need to be afraid because you are surrounded by grace. And one of the reasons that Mary was able to fully submit to the Lord is because she was already told she had no reason to be afraid because she has been found as a recipient of the grace of God. Notice all of this with me in verse 27 and 28, the angel, he comes to Mary. Now, when the angel comes to Mary in verse 27 and 28, he has not said anything about having Jesus. At this point, we know the story, but she doesn't know the story. And so in verse number 27 and 28, when the angel is sent to her and says, Hail thou that art highly favored, Uh, the Lord is with thee, blessed art thou among women. And the angel says that to her. She She doesn't know what he's about to say. And in that moment, yes, she's fearful at the sight of him, but no, now she's more afraid. What in the world does this saying mean? 
What, what is he about to tell me? Why would he be saying this to me? I'm no one special. I come from Nazareth. Why would Jehovah God be with me? Why would I be highly graced or highly favored? And in that moment, she, like us, resorted to to fear and to doubt. How do we know that she was afraid? Because the angel told her two words, fear not. So we have to know that she, in that moment, as she was casting in her mind, deliberating as a jury, what is going on, troubled, agitated, shaken up, life thrown in a blender, thinking, what in the world is happening right now? And fear strikes her heart that God says to the angel, to Gabriel, hey, tell her, fear not. Hey, tell her, don't be afraid. And the angel says, fear not, Mary, for thou hast found favor with God. Mary, you don't need to be afraid. Because God's grace is with you. Mary, you have been and you are being given an unmerited favor, an undeserved grace, an undeserved strength. Mary, you don't need to be afraid of anything that I'm about to say. Mary, listen, Mary, you don't need to be afraid of anything that is about to come into your life because God's grace is completely surrounding you. Mary, your life is submerged in God's grace. And so what I'm about to tell you, Mary, fear not, because grace is available. Now, I don't know about you, but as I'm reading this story and as I'm going to this and I'm thinking, why, why did God say don't fear? Why did the angel say fear not? As I'm looking at that and, and wondering, why did the angel say fear not? What, what, what re- reason is he going to give? The reason is you don't need to fear because God's grace is in your life. You see, what Mary didn't recognize and what all of us sometimes don't recognize is While we go through life and struggle with fear, that very first Christmas when Jesus came into this world, the very first reason that his mother was told she had no need to fear is because God's grace was available. Because God's grace was all over her. And before the request to bring Jesus Christ into this world and raise him as her child, before that request was ever made, Mary was told, fear not, because God's grace is available. How was this young lady able to say, behold, the handmaid of the Lord, be it unto me according to thy word? She was able to say that, I believe, because she was relying upon a promise that was just given. Yes, with God, nothing shall be impossible. She knew that, but... She had just been told, you don't need to be afraid of anything because she was counting God as able to give her the strength and that unmerited favor that she would need. What an amazing thought today. You see, for many in here, we know that the coming of Jesus Christ brought great grace that is offered to every single one. But what an incredible thought that this is one of the very first things told to Mary before Jesus was even promised. Mary, you don't need to be afraid because you are submerged in God's grace. 
Mary, you are about to be asked to do something that no one has ever done. You are about to be put in a situation that no one has ever been put into. Mary, you are about to be given a responsibility that has never been given and will never be given again. Mary, you've been brought to an unexpected moment and you've been given an unimaginable request. But Mary, God has given you an undeserved grace. God will give you strength for the journey that you're about to be on. And while the story of Jesus began with grace being offered to Mary, I want us to be reminded this morning that the story of Jesus begins in our life with grace being offered to us as well. Mary was told she need not fear because of the grace of God. And I think we can look at scripture and echo the principle that is given to each one of us every single day is we need not fear whatever may come our way because of the grace of God. We don't need to go through life with fear. Why? Because God's grace is available to us. We don't need to go through life wondering what is going to take place. Yes, nothing is impossible with God, but because God's grace is available. And there is no need to fear because you and I, we, like Mary, are surrounded by the grace of God. You see, God, first of all, offers us a grace that saves. This is listed in Ephesians chapter 2 and verse number 8 and 9. For by grace, unmerited favor are ye saved through faith. And that not of yourselves, it is the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. The truth is that because of the grace of God, you and I are offered something that we do not deserve and we cannot obtain on our own. We cannot, we cannot reconcile ourselves to God. It is only because of God's grace that we can be saved. And I would ask you this simple question today. Do you know Jesus Christ is your savior? Are you looking in your life and do you know for sure if you died today that you'd go to heaven? Maybe you're with us in person or you're watching online. The truth is every single one of us will spend eternity somewhere. And the only way that you can have restoration, the only way that you can get to heaven is if you've received Jesus Christ into your life. It's by his grace that we're saved, not by any of our works. We don't deserve salvation. It is an undeserved favor. It is undeserved grace. It is something in your life that is God's grace is the only reason that you and I can be saved. And if you're here this morning or you're with us online and you've never put your faith and your trust in Jesus Christ, can I tell you this morning that God's grace is available to you for salvation. That's the saving grace of God. And today, if you don't know Christ as your Savior, today could be the day where you put your faith and your trust completely in Him. Not in a church, not in a pastor, but completely in Him. But then secondly today, I want us to understand this, that God not only gives us a grace that saves, but specifically for you and I, God gives a grace that strengthens. This is the grace that I believe that God was referring to when he was speaking to Mary through Gabriel. Grace, that strength, the ability to go through the situation that she was about to go through. Do you understand this morning that the ridicule that Mary was about to endure would have been unheard of? 
the frustration from her family and the fear that Joseph would face and all of the circumstances. Listen, everything surrounding her story from this point forward is going to be ridicule and despise and people questioning and wondering and struggles. And yet she was told, in the moment of fear, fear not, because I have a strength, a grace that's available completely to you. I want us to know that God's grace that strengthens is available to us today. 2 Corinthians 9, 8, it says this, and God is able to make all grace abound toward you that ye always having all sufficiency in all things may abound to every good work. And while we have heard this before, it is good for us to be reminded today that there are many situations that every single one of us will face, and there are many tasks which the Lord will allow to be placed on us, and literally hundreds of circumstances that are going to be placed in our journey, to all of which our first response often is going to be fear, a fear that grips the heart, and a fear that pierces logic, and a fear that controls our decision and our direction, a fear that says, I just don't know, a fear that says, I I just can't go. And we need to understand that that fear truly stops us in our tracks. But this morning, we need fear not because there is grace for that. There is strength for that. There is an ability from God given to every single person that if you belong to the Lord Jesus Christ, God has grace for you on your journey. And there is nothing that you can face this week or will face next year or will face or have faced in 2020 where God does not say, I have grace for that. I have a strength of available to you for that. My grace can abound toward all. And in order for that, in order for us to understand that this morning, we just need to accept it. We need to accept the the truth that God's grace is available. And while you and I can sometimes shallow back and fall back, sink back into fear, we need to remember this morning that the birth of Jesus Christ brought grace into this world. The, the, the announcement of Jesus Christ was fear not because God's grace is available. She was told to fear not because God's grace was with her. His grace was sufficient for Mary and his grace is sufficient for you. And so this morning, I don't know what you're going through. I don't know what is being allowed into your life. I don't know what burden or what journey or what uh, frustration or what joy. I don't know. But in this moment, Mary didn't know. And yet she was told, what you're about to face, Mary, I've given grace to you. And so I want to encourage you this morning. I want to encourage you this morning to rest in the grace of God. Recognize that whatever God has given to you or allowed in your path. He offers strength to you. You are not alone. You are not carrying and going on your journey alone. Fear not, because there is grace for that. Thank you for listening to this message. We hope it's been an encouragement to you. And if you'd like any further information about our church, we'd like to encourage you to visit mlbc.church.